ABC, this is World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. Good evening. The deadline has come and gone. The Iraqis are living on what President Bush calls borrowed time. It is no longer whether the war will start, but when. Um, the U.S. Would, would have great difficulty quickly getting forces there. Ready for war, sir. Ready for war. That's what this ship came over here to do. Did the president uh, share classified information with Putin? Peter, I am looking directly west from our hotel now, and throughout the entire sky there are flashes of light. It appears to be some sort of anti-aircraft fire. You won't know what's going to happen to the first blow. Those news clips are many of the news stories of war, terrorism, corruption, political conflict, and other global events that have always been communicated via the news media, or as we know it, journalism. And as a result, shaping how we, as the public, see, hear, and perceive the world around us. It was just five years ago that my guest wrote a textbook on media journalism, much out of the disappointment of the direction news was heading. He believed much of it was sensationalistic. His passion for the subject was rather intense, which led him to seek out a publisher that would be interested in a more simple, straightforward journalism text that would be less academic, but more practical for aspiring media students who wanted to be better journalists. So today, the book is used by many universities in the U.S. and even in the U.K., and of course, right here at the University of Central Oklahoma in his own classes. Here to discuss his book, A Journalism Primer, and his other writings and passions is Dr. Mark Hanabit, Professor of Mass Communication. He holds a law degree from Oklahoma City University and worked for the Orlando Sentinel before starting his career in higher education. And he's covered many things, including presidents, high-profile murders, and even a little sports. I'm your host, Dr. David Nelson, Professor of Mass Communication here at UCO, and you're listening to UCO Spotlight. What was the motivation? I mean, a lot of authors have something that drives them to write these books and spend years with uh, spending the time doing the research and spending the time to writing and all the headaches that come with the edits with your publisher. Uh, what motivated you to do this? Headaches are right. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> basically, I didn't like what was on the market. And uh, some of these books were, uh, I think, uh, my background is in journalism. I worked for the Orlando Sentinel as a reporter and editor for years and did some syndication work there. And uh, I, I thought, well, if I, if I ever taught, um, I, I wanted to make sure that I would put a book out there that the students would read. Some of these books were, were written that we have on the market today are written by people, I think, who who's maybe studied journalism but never really got into journalism, worked in the field. And a lot of the texts that I saw early on had a lot of academic aspects to it, but very little practical aspects to it. And I wanted to, uh, I'm, I was more interested in turning out journalists than I was in uh, academic, you know, uh, degrees. And so I, um, I uh, took a different tact on it, a very, very practical approach to writing the book. I also wanted to condense it down to its essential uh, components. A lot of these, a lot of these books are a thousand pages long, eighty-page chapters. Uh, no, no professor's been teaching for any length of time is, is uh, going to, uh, will will agree that the student's going to read that much. So what I wanted to do was uh, essentially compress it down to its essential ingredients and, that were important for the student. That the student actually had to know to go out and do the work. Can you go back and kind of look as a child, who were your, you know, role models 
mother, your father? Who, who pushed you to be this curious and, and, and have this uh, fascination with writing? I think there, was, there were a couple of people. My parents, uh, I used to race my father out, uh, out the front door down the driveway to get uh, the newspaper in the morning. And we, would, we, were always, in, uh, we always had a discussion around the, the dinner table and the breakfast table about current events. Uh, to me, when I was a child, I wasn't stuck in Evansville, Indiana. We would go get the newspaper, open up the newspaper, and suddenly I was in Cairo or I was in London or Paris. And so it was almost like a travelogue. And, uh, and I, I was always fascinated because I was encouraged to read. I was encouraged to talk about things and learn about things. And so my parents had a lot to do with that. The other, the other important person, I think, was uh, a next-door neighbor. Uh, I referred to him, his name was Les Niehaus, and if the book ever gets, my novel ever gets published, it'll be dedicated to him. I referred to him as Mr. Les, because I was three or four years old, couldn't pronounce Niehaus. Um, <laughs> but he would, uh, he would tell me stories. I would follow, follow him around with my little lawnmower as he was mowing the grass, and when he was done, he would say, well, Mark, I think it's about time for a story, don't you? And so his wife would go out and get uh, cookies or peanut butter and crackers or something and lemonade and we'd sit out under an elm tree in his backyard and he would tell us uh, tell us stories and so I was always fascinated by the storytelling he was a natural born storyteller and and I learned I knew by the age of five what made a good story and what didn't because it all stories any any writer will tell you all stories are winners and all stories are losers it depends on how you tell the story and uh, he was he was a natural at it and so I would I always had this fascination with stories because of him. Have you seen in our society that this idea, speaking of journalism, uh, this idea of the narrative, the storytelling component is fading in today's media? <clears throat> I, in, the, in today's mass media, I would say there, uh, maybe, maybe there is, a, I think we're always fascinated with stories. I think that's part of being human. I think stories will never go away. Um, but I think uh, with the advent of, um, of social media, uh, internet, things, we get snippets of information. I tell my students that, that journalism is about, uh, about knowledge, the pursuit of knowledge. And, and uh, knowledge is, is uh, facts in context. But what we're focusing on today with social media and other, uh, other aspects like that is uh, data. And data is uh, our facts. Uh, out of context, and so um, we we can't get to wisdom or the essential uh, goal of finding truth with data. You you have to focus on knowledge. Um, the postmodernists will tell you the postmodernist philosophy is that uh, fact uh, truth is is uh, unavailable apart from context. You have to have context to get to truth. And our media today, unfortunately, our our mass media focuses too much on data and snippets of information that produces stories or information or ideas out of context. So that's a problem. And with, uh, as you mentioned, you mentioned data in today's social media world, in which a lot of our students, you know, you and I know, that's where they get their news. Right. And uh, algorithms that are built into their smartphones, algorithms built into their search engines and things of that nature. So all they're getting is what they're searching. Yeah. So there's a whole world yeah. of other news stories out there. Um, how does that appeal upon what you've noticed uh, with your students, their ability to be critical, their ability to synthesize what's happening in the world? It's, in, it's interesting. Uh, 
We do surveys, as you know, of, of employers, and nationwide, employers tell us that the biggest problem they have with students is their inability to think critically and analytically, and their inability to write well. And it doesn't matter if they're science majors or business majors or humanities majors or what have you, that is the number one problem that they, that employers tell us uh, our students lack. And so I would agree with that. And I think a large part of that comes from uh, texting things in, in 140 or whatever it is now in characters and not having to write, not having to think, not having to analyze information. But again, uh, in your journalism background, you worked at the, Orient, uh, the Orlando Sentinel. Right. Excuse me, and you've interviewed presidents, you've uh, interviewed athletes, you've uh, gone on some very scary experiences, you yes, know, yes, <laughs> in yes. order to get a story. Yes. And then, yes. you know, felt I've, like you were going to lose your life. I've been shot at. Um, <laughs> I've had butcher knives pulled on me. I, I had, at one point, I had four guys throw me out of a church into a bunch of bushes and one took each one took an arm or a leg and threw me out I was there to cover a, a race a racial uh, problem and uh, they didn't want the media around and so that was their polite way of getting me out of the out of the building was to literally toss me into the bushes so uh, you know and journalism is is people don't realize when they pick up the newspaper turn on the on the news at night uh, how difficult it is to get that information I tell my students Imagine if I gave you a, an assignment and you had to go to the library, but uh, the librarian saw you coming and closed and locked the doors and turned the lights out. Or you went in in the library and hide, hid the books, or the librarian lied to you about where the books that you needed were. So that's what it's like to be a journalist. Uh, officials, public officials, politicians, they don't want us to have this information. And so, uh, you know, you get, you get your life threatened. Uh, there's a very... Uh, a pro appropriate movie out right now called The Post, which has to do with the Washington Post and its uh, its uh, uh, efforts to publish the Pentagon Papers, because uh, the uh, the Democratic and Republican administrations from Truman forward had been lying about the Vietnam War. Well, that never would have reached the, the light of day had uh, the government had its way and censored the press. And yet, how many people died because of that? Mm -hmm. Because of a lie. So these things are, um, it's, the role of the media is, is important. The problem with the media today is that it does not, I don't think it's, it's moved more toward entertainment rather than information, and that's hurt its credibility. It's not the journalist's job to tell you the truth. It's the journalist's job to provide you the information and context so then you can apply your own philosophies, your own ideas, and determine for yourself what that truth means or what that truth is. And so I think when the media goes out and they, they say, well, here's what this means, they are, they are uh, circumventing that, uh, that goal. They are usurping the right of the, of the, and the duty of the listener, the viewer, uh, the uh, reader to find that truth on their own. And journalists should not do that. So I think training has a lot to do with it and the understanding that you're not there to give your opinion on what the truth is. You're there to make sure they have all the information they need so that they can determine that truth for themselves. Uh, we're talking with uh, Dr. Mark Hannibit. Uh, he's an author of uh, two books we're discussing here during uh, Central Spotlight, The Journalist Primer, A No-Nonsense Guide to Getting and Reporting the News. Love the title.
And then Media Law, a guide to understanding mass communication law. We'll uh, continue the discussion uh, right after this uh, short break. You're listening to Central Spotlight. And welcome back to Central Spotlight. I'm your host, uh, David Nelson. I'm a professor of mass communication here at uh, the Department of Mass Communication on the campus of the University of Central Oklahoma. My guest today is Dr. Mark Hannibal. Uh He's a professor of mass communication and specifically media law, uh, news reporting, um, taught probably ethics at one time, I'm, yes. I'm sure, in the curriculum here at the uh, Department of Mass Communication. He has a couple of books, uh, The Journalist Primer, A No-Nonsense Guide to Getting and Reporting the News and Media Law, A Guide to Understanding Mass Communication Law. And I apologize for not mentioning the title of the books earlier in the show, but um, these two books uh, have now been used the last several years by our students. And uh, your goal, of course, was to remove all the academia, academic jargon, lexicon that... Uh, I'm familiar with as as a grad student. You have been familiar with as a grad student. That can be very literally overwhelming yeah. when it comes to uh, 18, a, 19, 20. Yeah, old. it's almost a separate language. Aside from these two books, uh, I'm very aware that you have a novel. <laughs> so how's uh, where, where did this all come about? Where, where, uh, what, what piqued your interest in saying, "Hey, I'm going to write a novel"? Uh, well, I think I always it goes back to the concept earlier of the storyteller mm-hmm. that I encountered as a child. I was always into stories. And uh, I always wanted to, you know, when I was in school, I enjoyed uh, English and I enjoyed uh, literature. And so I, um, I don't know, that's, that's what I always liked. To, liked. I liked reading and liked doing that stuff. So, so for me, I guess for, some, for an engineer, it's, it's going out and building things. And for, for a writer, it's, it's getting lost in a story. And so um, that's... That's something I always wanted to do, even when I was working as a journalist. A lot of journalists want to gravitate that way. We either want to be, become Woodward and Bernstein investigative reporters, or we want to end up like Ernest Hemingway and write the great American novel. So I guess I, I, I gravitated to the latter. And um, so it was just, uh, I, I don't know, the story came about, uh, uh, the impetus for the story was for a... Um, when I was working as a journalist, I covered the deportation hearing of an accused Nazi down in uh, in Florida. He was uh, the guy's name was Fedor Fedorenko. He was eventually deported to uh, Russia, lost his citizenship here, and was eventually put in front of a firing squad for for uh, war crimes during uh, in Treblinka during the Nazi Germany's uh, uh, reign in Europe. And uh, the story wasn't about him, but while I was there. Uh, I came across where the man had been living, and he'd been living among the old Jews down in uh, the Miami Beach area, and he had been helping them, fixing their cars, helping the old ladies with their groceries. So it was almost as if he he was doing penance. Mm -hmm. Uh, I couldn't say that, of course. I didn't know that, and I didn't report that. But but it started uh, an idea in my head, well, what what if a guy's a Nazi, but he's not a Nazi? What if he's, you know, and... uh, so that became the basis for the story. It's uh, basically set, uh, it's about uh, the Berlin Wall in 1961. So it's a Cold War setting. And uh, so basically, you know, this is a guy who was falsely accused of things but by the American government and others and, and basically has to prove himself. So this, uh, so it's based on a... Uh... 
well sense of true character it's, it's, with a, it's based on it's based on an idea that came from a news story, story that yeah. you covered right yeah and there's the motivation yeah well, because you were fascinated I guess uh, enough with this guy's history and yeah. background that you yeah. said what a story that yeah I was sitting in the press gallery and there was a there was a guy from Time magazine on one side of me and Das Bild <laughs> from Germany on the other and so the world's press was there and uh, they all kind of went off and packed journalism and I thought I'm not going to do that I'm going to do something else and I rented a car and the, the courthouse was in Fort Lauderdale. I rented a car and went, drove, found out where he lived and or had lived, and drove down to Miami Beach, which, had, of course, a lot of uh, the Jews who had been persecuted during World War II at the hands of the Nazis emigrated in, there after the war, and so I was able to to find a lot of people who had been in concentration camps, and he was actually living right among them. And here was a man who was accused of shooting people in the back of the head and pushing their bodies into flaming pits. At the Treblinka concentration camp, and and he had been living right among them. So, um, you know, uh, the story again is not about him. This, that was just the that was just the thing that got me thinking about uh, a possible character that would had been uh, falsely accused. Okay, so just a derivative yeah, version right. of what he had gone through. Right. Yeah. So that's fascinating. We're talking to Dr. Mark Cannabit, uh, author of the Journalist Primer. A, non uh, a non nonsense guide to getting and reporting the news and media law, a guide to understanding mass communication law. He's a professor of mass communication here at uh, UCO. I myself, <clears throat> mass communication professor, and uh, this is uh, Central Spotlight. Uh, and to kind of kind of wrap up this uh, uh, segment, uh, what is it that you would? Um, Looking back on your life as a journalist, uh, what is it something that you wish you had known then as a young man that you know now <laughs> That's a good uh, question. that you could easily would have made you a better journalist, uh, would have made you, you know, overall just uh, maybe more effective what you did? And, uh, I think I would have read more. Mm. I think I would have studied harder in school. Um, a lot of the things that I learned later in life, I should have learned in, in junior high and high school, <laughs> but I was not a good student in, in, uh, in those years. Um, it's amazing when we tell our students that, yeah, you know, I wasn't that great yeah. of a student. And, <laughs> you know, I, I went on. Straight A's, no. I, yeah, I, I mean, I went on to law school, and, right. and so I've, I've, done, I, I've done well, but you wonder how much better could I have done if I'd applied myself a little more in those in those early years um, so you know that's I would have read more I would have uh, studied harder uh, one of the things that I did do that was that I recommend my students do is I traveled early in life I, I traveled all over Europe and I tell my students you really need to to learn who you are and you do that by getting out of your comfort zone and going elsewhere and seeing how other people live so that's one of the positive things I did but yeah, I was not the best student, and that's probably what I would have. If I had to go back and focus on something, that's probably what I'd do. And there was one thing that I'm privy to, and the fact that you wished your father would have allowed you to play competitive group sports yeah. where you could have learned, yeah. <laughs> you know, how this, you know, it is a culture. You yeah. know, sports is a culture, yeah. and it's collectivity, yeah. and it's collectivism that they have. Yeah, I'm an only <laughs> child, and that's. Uh, <laughs> 
that's that's both good and bad. Only children tend to be a little uh, a little uh, selfish and arrogant, but they also <laughs> they also tend to be self starters and a little uh -huh. smarter because you are on your own. You, there's nobody to back you up. Mm -hmm. And uh, my father was very much opposed to me playing sports. He came from a, a farm background, and he's, his idea was, well, if you have the the energy to, to play ball, then you have the energy to go work in the in the fields. And so I did a lot of manual labor when I was a kid. Um, but that, yeah, I did not, and team sports would have helped me. Even today, I would much rather work by myself than work mm -hmm. in a group. Mm -hmm. And you know that from working with me here at, at the university. <laughs> Give me a project and then literally get out of my sight mm -hmm. and I'll go do it. Uh, but I, I don't particularly like working in groups. And uh, I think I, I would have been much better at that had I had I learned the value of working in it on a team. And uh, our, our guest today was Dr. Mark Canaba. Thank you for joining us. And uh, he's, the, he's the author of the Journalist Primer, a, non a no nonsense. That's a tongue twister. A no nonsense guide to getting in a report in the news and a media law guide to understanding mass communication law. And this has been Central Spotlight. I'm your host, uh, David Nelson, professor of mass communication here at UCO. And uh, thank you for uh, joining us today on uh, Central Spotlight.